Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to part three of our current event and weekly Bible study for December 20th, 2009. We're going to continue our study on the question and answers that I've gotten from some listeners. And uh, this next question is, uh, Dear Dr. Johnson, thank you for all your hard work keeping us informed, being a watchman. Recently, my sister has asked the family to meet with her to spread the ashes of my brother-in-law at a park near her house. I find the idea repulsive, but I can't put my finger on why. I have discussed this with a couple of friends, and they don't see a problem with it either. Something seems wrong about it. I would like to hear from you. If you could get back to me, I would appreciate it. Most of all, I would not want to offend God by participating in something like this if it is wrong. On the other hand, if it was an opportunity to witness to my family, I would take it, but that may come by interrupting them from prayer or trying to speak to my dead brother-in-law or something like that. (laughs) Okay, so, I respond back to her. The first thing that would need to be addressed is the subject of cremation. And I have an attachment that I had there. Um, Since cremation is a totally pagan practice, it would necessarily hold that scattering of ashes could not be pleasing to God. Yes, it is wrong, and I understand your concern, as my mom had my dad cremated after his death, and she scattered his ashes not only here but in Florida. My mom scattered my, my dad's ashes um, in our, the house that they were essentially being um, kicked out of that week. Uh, and I told the whole story about my dad's testimony. You can, you can listen to that. Um, you just can dad in the search box on my homepage on Sermon Audio. Uh, she scattered part of his ashes there because he had, I don't know, couple Siamese cats, uh, more than that, that were buried there, and he loved his cats, so she scattered part of them there, and then she took the other part, and she went up to Ohio, and where they had put my grandma and my grandpa, who I both led to the Lord, and I believe I led my dad to the Lord too, they had this lake that they all went to in the in the um, summer, uh, Berlin, Berlin Lake, it's up there in Ohio, and there was a, they had this little piece of property, and there was this rock there, and they had engraved my grandma's name and my grandpa's name in it, and they scattered it there. And evidently, there's been a whole bunch of other people that have scattered their ashes there, too. <sighs> so, listen, I had nothing to do with it. wasn't my call. My mom knows how I, where I stand on this, okay? So, I'm not just being a hypocrite here saying, you do this, and I'm over here, condone- I'm not condoning it. She knows where I stand on it, but it's, she had control over his ashes. There wasn't anything I could do about it. So anyway, I just want to be above board here and say that. Anyway, um, she has scattered his ashes not only here, but also up in Ohio. Actually, when I wrote this, she was up there right then doing it. it was, she was on this trip she took. Also on the plane flight up there, oh, listen to this. I don't think I told you all this. Also, on the plane flight up there, the airline officials went through my mom's bag and opened up my dad's ashes and did not seal them properly, and they were strewn on my mom's clothes, and so much so, they got into the zipper of the luggage, making it almost impossible to close. Remember that? Ugh, I was talking to Taylor. Yeah, so, but again, I really believe that part of the reason that happened is because God was trying to show my mom that this is not good, this is not right. I'm not going to let this go smoothly for you. You know, um, and then I said, "How grievous and sickening!" I just learned two days ago, <clears throat> so I know how you feel. See the Bible verses in the attachment for further verification. Now, 
<clears throat> there's a whole web uh, little thing here that I give. It's called Unbiblical Cremation Gaining in Favor. This is from oh boy, Friday Church Notes, wayoflife.org. It's a good website to get some uh, information. Like He's got a lot of stuff on cremation. Wayoflife.org. You can search for this article. Uh, an article in the Associated Baptist Press in 2001, this is Associated Baptist Press, who are typically you know, more conservative, observed that, quote, as cremation becomes more popular in the United States, fewer people are asking serious theological questions about the practice. The article cited Baptist ministers Bob Beck, Leroy Summers, of Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas area, who said they hear no theological objections to cremation in these days. This reflects a dramatic change in American society. In 1913, the year the Cremation Association was formed, there were only 10,000 cremations in 1913. Now remember, we've only gotten more and more and more wicked. Okay? So you have to ask yourself, if they were doing it hardly at all back then, are we better today? Oh, we're so better than we were back in the early 1900s. Give me a break. I mean, that we're way worse. So, <clears throat> it says then, by 1999, the number had risen to 595,000. So, in other words, it went from 10,000 to 595,000 uh, cremations. Or 25% of all people that were dying were getting cremated. By 2005, it was 778,000 or 31%. In our article, Cremation, What Does God Think? It lists 10 biblical reasons to reject cremation. Number one, cremation has a heathen origin. Number two, God's people have always practiced burial, and he gives you all the Bible verses here to prove it, okay? Just so you know. Number three, even when the burial was difficult, God's people practiced it. He gives you the verses for that. Number four, burial looks forward to the resurrection. Remember? You know, we're... That verse in Thessalonians where, you know, they those who are alive in Christ and those who are dead in Christ. Okay, well, with the whole resurrection thing, if you're cremated, I'm not saying God can't resurrect you, but do you understand the point here? You know, if your ashes are strewn all over the place. Anyway, uh, let's see. Number five, God practices burial. Okay, gives you the Bible verses. Number six, cremation is a sign of God's curse. He gives you the Bible verses there. Number seven, for a person not to have a proper burial was a dishonor. You know, in the Bible, that was a huge thing. I mean, huge thing was a dishonor. Remember how Jezebel went out, you know? They threw her down, and the only thing left was her, I believe her hands and her feet and her dog ate her, and they just leave it there. You know, hey, <laughs> that wasn't a sign of being honored. Okay, so it was a big deal. Uh, number eight, the Christian body belongs to God, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Number nine, God calls cremation wickedness in Amos 2, 1. Uh, number ten, Jesus was buried. Yeah, he was our greatest example. Uh, this article can be found at Way of Life website at www.wayoflife, one word, dot O-R-G. Yeah, I, I don't have time to get into all the Bible verses that he's got listed here. You'll be able to get them up on my PDF when you click into that on Sermon Audio. But, let's just read Amos 2.1. Amos 2.1 says, Thus saith the Lord, 
for three transgressions of Moab, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. In other words, these transgressions were so grievous in God's sight that he wasn't going to turn away the trans he wasn't going to turn away his wrath. Okay? What is the first thing God lists of these transgressions why he's going to rain down his fury essentially on them? He says, uh, it says, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because he burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. What is his punishment? But I will send a fire upon Moab and I shall devour the palaces of Kirioth and Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And then he goes on and on and on. What was the first thing he listed? Some guy that was cremated because he burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. Wasn't well, that what they do? I mean, when you, when you get done, you burn them into lime. It's, it's like they're, they're powder. Man, God does view this very seriously. He is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. Well, he's changed his view on cremation, obviously. No, he hasn't. Okay? I'm not saying that if like somebody was saved and you get them cremated, they're going to hell. But I'm saying God views it very seriously, obviously. Okay? Not something I really want to mess around with. Man, that, I mean, that is, that's scary stuff. And that's just one of the Bible verses he gives here. So, anyway, hopefully that'll, you know, get you going there, uh, understanding that. Let's see here. Okay, next question. Uh, let's see. Okay, I really enjoy your sermons. Uh, the, the name, he calls his name Source. Not sorcerer, but just the word source. Anyway, I really enjoy your sermons. The Bible says, In all things that I have said unto you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods. Neither let it be heard in thy mouth. Exodus 23.13. Okay. For your best interest, I would suggest that you keep the names of false gods from your speaking. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't reveal darkness. It means that you, shouldn't, you should be more astringent with how you proclaim them. I bring this up because I wanted to listen to one of your sermons as I rested, but you were using the name of occultists and unclean spirits so much so that I could not allow myself to hear it while unconscious. Oh, aren't we holier than thou? I guess this guy probably floats from room to room. He doesn't even walk. You know, he wears white robes and just kind of floats around. Anyway, I'm going to give you my rationale for this in a second. Obedience is better than sacrifice, he says to me. So be obedient to God which would be for you to watch which names you embellish with your attention. Embellish? Expose them. But anyway, the occultists these days are becoming popular. I fear that Christians are now finding people like Blavatsky, oh, and he doesn't even say her full name. He has a dash in there, so he doesn't even have to write it. Oh, wow, he is so much better than me. I admit it. I so admit it. He is so much He is. In fact, he's better than all of us. I, I admit it. Sorry. I'm going to speak on his behalf. Anyway, um, I, I fear that Christians are now finding people like Blavatsky, Blavsky with a dash so he doesn't have to even write it. He reminds me of those people that say you can't write the full name of God. The, the ones that do the G-D, the Hebrew roots, really fanatical ones. I've got a whole study I need to do on that, but again, show me the Bible for that. Anyway, um, I fear Christians are now finding people like Blavsky as okay because they hear the names continually. Okay, here's my response. If this is the case, n number one, we're exposing them. 
Okay, we're, we're, we're marking them. How do you mark somebody if you can't use their name? Okay, whether it's an occultist or whether it's a particular deity you're exposing. Whether it's a particular deity you need to come against, like Lilith or Chemosh or one of those. How, how is that possible by never uttering the name? The people... Anyway, I, I explain this in my response. If this is the case, why does the Bible, the Word of God, then name them by name? That was my first response. What if we read the Word of God and those names are in the readings? I expose them. I don't worship them. This verse is in reference, the verse he quoted where it says, And in all things I have said unto you to be circumspect, and to make no mention of the name of other gods, neither let it be heard in thy mouth. Okay, what I say is this verse is in reference to respect, worship, dignifying of other gods. In other words, if you were living in those times, you're not going to want to make mention of these other gods. You don't want to do that. Because, in other words, you're worshiping, you're dignifying. They were always warning against idolatry, okay, which was essentially like a death sentence then. It's a death sentence today. It's just that, you know, if you're, if you're worshiping idols and you're not saved, it's a death sentence, but it, it's not going to come until you, you die. The verse is in reference to having respect, worship, dignifying other false gods. I am doing exactly what Stephen, who is one of the greatest Christians of all time, not to say that I am anything compared to him, I'm doing what he was doing below in Acts 7.43. And I know I could find many other places, but for time's sake I gave him this verse. Um, well, anyway, Amos 5.26 says, But ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and chewn your images, the star of your God, which ye made to yourselves. Now, this is the... Um, Oh, Acts, I'm sorry, Acts 7.43 says that. But you have borne, this is Stephen talking, but you have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch in Chun, the star of your God. Now that star, I believe I've emphatically improved, is the hexagram. I've done a whole study on the hexagram. Okay. Stephen was indicting the Pharisees and Sadducees, and this was right before he was stoned, okay. So this was right before, the Holy Spirit was on Stephen, probably almost like no other person that's ever lived on the planet. He was essentially the first martyr, other than Jesus Christ, of the Christian church. Okay, I don't think you could speak about anybody in the Bible that in God's eyes was probably more biblically correct than Stephen. And Stephen named them by name. In Acts uh, 7.43, You've borne the tabernacle of Moloch and Chun, your images, the star of your God, which you have made to yourselves. He was indicting them. He called them out by name. He was marking them. Acts 7.43 says, Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Molech, and the star of your god Remphan, um, images, figures which ye made to worship them, and will carry you away unto Babylon. Actually, yeah, that was... Yeah, that was actually Acts 7.43. I'm sorry. The first one was Amos 5.26. Okay, what... This was the actual verse that Stephen was quoting, Amos 5.26. It was, it was essentially the same thing. He named him by name. Remphan, Molech. Okay? And then Baal, or Baal, however you want to pronounce it, is mentioned 52 times in the Bible. Okay, here are just a couple of the verses. And Joash said, unto all them that stood against him, will ye plead for Baal, or Baal? Joseph said his Joash said his name 
Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death. In other words, these people that were wanting to defend Baal or Baal were the ones that needed to be put to death. Why? Because they were honoring this God with their mouth. They were actually wanting to defend them, which is what Exodus 23.13 is actually in reference to. Idolatry. Exposing them is a totally different thing. Okay, I'm not pointing at anybody. Yes, everybody, let's go out and worship Baal. I, I don't do that. Expose these devils. Okay, so then let's go further. Uh, and then Judges, the next verse says, Therefore on that day he will call him Jerubbabal, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. You could give verse after verse after verse, where they're named by name. You just have to rightly divide the word of truth. And this is what I... And again, a guy like this, guaranteed he thinks he's way better than, you know, just about probably everybody. And he's the type of guy that if you were to go and sit down and do a Bible study with him, he'll try to indoctrinate you into his own little cultic way of thinking. This is how cults get started. You have one person that gets some pet thing in their head, they don't rightly divide the word of truth, they, they, they want to focus on this one verse to the exclusion of the rest of the Bible, and they start thinking, I'm better. Well, by golly, I'm going to start me my own cult. And that's what happens. It's very dangerous. And the temptation is, is there, you know, for anybody that gets into this. That's why you, you just have to guard against pride. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Dear Scott, here's another one. In one study you quoted that getting into debt is unbiblical. From the verse, from reading the scriptures, I have gathered that mortgages are a big no-no. Although my church never used to classify them as debt, and when somehow, and when someone gave a testimony on a mortgage approval, it was great. So in other words, these people are getting up there, oh, praise the Lord Jesus Christ, I got a mortgage approval. He did it. Well, let's see if he did it, okay? And I'm sorry, because I know a lot of people out there got mortgages, but again, my life's not a popularity contest. And if you're already in one, I'm not saying, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're stuck. But you shouldn't do it again, and I'm going to tell you why. Then he goes on to say, but what about short-term debt with no interest paid on it? Also at the church, when people were receiving deliverance, the pastors used the NKJV, and the demons would leave. Okay, but you can't really see demons leaving. Okay. This also happens in the Catholic Church, although they don't say, in Jesus' name, get out. You know, they do the whole exorcist thing where they strap somebody to a chair and they come out with the old crucifix and the holy water and whatever else, and all their vestments and the whole incense thing. Oh, that's real biblical. That's real biblical. Yeah. My question is, if these churches are using a corrupt text, then how come the demons fly out? And the person is made much better given the fact that the person is no longer committing the sin uh, that permitted them to enter in the first place. That permitted them to enter in in the first place. I would really appreciate your comments and also have you done a study on debt. My response, first part, um, about borrowing. The Bible says, Proverbs 22.7, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now whether it's you know, a, a loan taken at no interest or whether it's a mortgage. 
I don't see biblical grounds for going out and doing a lot of borrowing. Now, I understand the Bible says, um, you know, to give those that ask of you in these types of things. It's one thing if you just give money and expect nothing in return, but it's another to actually go out there and borrow it. I think from a biblical standpoint. Uh, here's another verse. Romans 13.8 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth hath fulfilled the law. Okay, and we've done a whole series on that, on that whole concept of um, the laws fulfilled, you know, in, in two words, to love uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, well, anyway, I've done a study on that. Anyway, uh, did you know the word mortgage, mortgage, in French, is French? And, and yes, mortgage literally translates translates um, from French as death contract. Mort. Okay, let's break the word apart. Mort. This is where we get the word mortuary. Mortality. Mortal, meaning somebody that dies. Mort is death. Gage is contract. Death contract. That's what a mortgage is. Okay? Totally no biblical justification for it. I'm sorry, there is none. Actually, from what I have heard, okay, then, okay, so we get off that subject. Now, the second part of her question. Actually, from what I've heard, the KJV, when quoted, is much more effective in deliverance, but this is not to say that another version would have no merit in a deliverance situation. For instance, I was actually saved reading the NIV, uh, but this is not a good translation with over 64,000 words removed compared to the KJV. In other words, did I understand the concept of salvation when reading these verses that were shown to me in the NIV when I read In Route to Global Occupation by Gary Kaw? Okay, because that's how I got saved. Okay. Is it ideal? No. Did God show me later that the KJV is the right? Yes, he emphatically did. Okay. But I'm not saying it's impossible to get saved. Now, there are some versions, like I've said, nowadays that you can't get saved at all. They're getting worse and worse and worse, more and more watered down, more and more leavened. If you, okay, and let me just then address the second part here. I also believe it depends on the faith and the intention of the one casting out evil spirits, as with faith, it is impossible to please God. Also, regarding Catholic the priest, from the many exorcism stories I have heard, the demons tend to return. And also, you would have to really observe these people over some time period to see if the demons came back in. Because many times, from my experience, what I've seen, or even from what they've had on TV, oh, the Catholic priest comes in and does some ritual purification on the house, or on the boy or the girl, or on the person, and he's good for a day! And then all of a sudden, two or three days later, it's back with a vengeance. Well, that happens all the time. So you have to really look at the long-term effects you have to look at the actual standing with God. I think this, the person who's doing, let's say, casting out a devil, for instance, it depends on the standing of that person with God. Is he a saved? Um, what it, where is his faith level? That's more important than uh, probably anything because you, you can't have unsaved people trying to do this type of work. And again, with the Catholic Church... With um, this, these exorcism stories you hear, the demons um, from so many things I've seen tend to return. It reminds me of this verse. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? 
Catholic Church is on the side of Satan. It's white witchcraft. It really is, is at its heart. And going in more to black, I'm sure, at the higher levels. How can Satan cast out Satan effectively? Okay, so this whole exorcism garbage with the Catholic Church and all their various accoutrements that they use, which are totally, absolutely unbiblical, you know, I would really like to see what kind of long-term effects they get. And also this, remember this. Satan would like to get as many people um, indoctrinated into the Catholic way of thinking, don't you think? Well, Satan knowing this, he will meet you at your need. So, in other words, if you're, let's say you got somebody in there, they're, they're demon-possessed and manifesting all stuff, and you have this big, big Catholic priest come along and do his various sundry things that he goes through, and all of a sudden the person appears better. <gasps> the Catholic Church is the way! Just like all the people that seek after miracles and signs and wonders. And then they end up, let's say they were teetering on being a true born again Christian or a Catholic. They go over to the Catholic side. What has the devil done? He has called off his dogs for a time while that person gets converted over to this false religion. So they're damned to hell. This is what it boils down to. Satan still accomplished his plan. He is capable of calling off his devils and demons for a time in order to accomplish his will. So don't underestimate them. There are rock concerts that they have where people go up and they have satanic altar calls and people will go up there and sometimes they're in wheelchairs and they get healed. Or cults where this happens. Well, can you attribute that to the Lord Jesus Christ? No, it was attributed to a, to a demonic thing. It was of the devil. They were pointing you to hell. But the devil can meet you at your need. He will do that. He knows what you want. So, please don't go by experience when it comes to your soul. Uh, when it comes to your salvation, don't go by experience because there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but there and there are the ways of death. And it can be the most real thing in the world to you, but it doesn't matter. Because if you believe in a false gospel, you're going to wind up in hell. Okay, let's go further. Um, let's see. Okay, finally, this is from Marsha. Dear Scott, finally I got to finish all of the audios. Uh, I believe my audios, I, I'm not sure. Uh, FYI, you and I know Dr. Carley and Patrick Jordan are lost, so I don't expect anything else from them. Patrick shared Isaiah 45, 5-7, where God says he creates evil. How do you respond to that? Good question. Yes, he created everything, including the angels and the fallen ones, but I don't have an answer. Do you? I was asked to write the opinion against vaccines for a sister newspaper. I did it figuring I was being set up. I just stuck to everything I had a document for. A doctor from the health department in favor of vaccines and a lady shared her story of how her son died after a bunch of vaccines he was given. But according to the experts, there was no relation to this. So I feel sorry for her. I got an email from a gal whose four-year-old were given Gardasil by mistake. She asked me what long-term effects were. I had I told her no vaccine's ever been properly tested. Well, her kids could get cancer, genital warts, infertility, all true. Um, they could also die from the Gardasil vaccine, as many girls have. Also, a friend works at a local hospital. They shipped a lady out on a ventilator. She got H1N1 from her. Uh, 
she got her she got H1N1 from her kids who got the live flu mist vaccine up their nose. Horrible stories about about um, abortions after the vaccines as well. There's a whole epidemic of women going into mass miscarriages from anywhere from one day to, to uh, ten days after they're getting this H1N1 vaccine. It's an epidemic. It's totally being suppressed in the news. I've reported on it in other stories. It's evil. Pure, unadulterated evil. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's using these vaccines mightily. And to defile. And he's using them to defile humanity. And I've done tons of studies on this. Just keen part of the word vaccine in the keyword search box on my homepage. Uh, you get your boat loaded. Then I said, I listened to a pastor from Sermon Audio talking on conspiracies. I know he was talking about you. <laughs> but, basically, he was blowing you off in regards to microchips, etc. <laughs> Even though the Bible is so clear that unless a man receiveth the mark in his right hand or his forehead, which is the mark of the beast, and he bow down and worship the beast, and these types of things, unless he does all that, he'll have to be beheaded for his faith. I mean, you, you have to... You, you won't be able to buy, sell, or trade without it. So oh, he's, he's blowing all that off. I guess he's a, who knows what flavor he is. Probably a dominionist. I believe things are just going to get better and better and better, and Revelation doesn't ever apply. So anyway, uh, he was talking about me. He says, I was so disappointed by pastors who have no clue what's going on. I left the Southern Baptist. I am now in a home church that's not 501c3. The Southern Baptists are in favor of gun control. Oh, my word. Many Masons around us. Yeah, um, many Masons around I documented that in my Freemason study, how there's a huge percentage of Freemasons that are actually pastors and deacons in the churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. Hey, I'm sorry, but those are documented, verifiable facts. Talk about a little leaven, leaven in the whole lump. The Southern Baptists are in favor of gun control, many Masons, and do nothing about aborted babies being used for vaccines. And that's another thing I document. There's, it, there's way over 13 vaccines that are actually cultured from aborted babies. They call them human diploid cells, aborted fetal cell lines. And they literally culture the vaccines from aborted babies, and they inject it into you. MMR, Varivax, these are a couple. I document them in the teaching I do on the avian flu up on the YouTube. You can go watch it for free. I'm not making this stuff up. It happens. So, anyway, uh, my response. Yes, I actually did a teaching on the subject indirectly. Now, this is where, how God creates evil. How do I respond to that? Okay. Um, I say, yes, I did a teaching on this, kind of indirectly. See below in the PDF. Now, the PDF, it's the Indigo and Star Children Exposed. I already mentioned the teaching. It's the second part of it where I get pure... Bible verses on this subject. Okay? Uh, but the essence of the answer to your question is in the passages below. Okay? Here's one. Romans 9, 21 through 24. How, and this is just a cliff note version, okay? I get way more into it in the PDF. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? That's his doing. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? 
vessels of God's wrath prepared or fitted to destruction. Next verse. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. That should excite you, that verse. Why, okay, so what's, what's the answer to the question here? Well, how could God create evil, and how, how do you respond to that? Okay, well, he's made one vessel in honor, one under dishonor. He's willing to show his wrath and to make his power known. He's endured this long-suffering, the vessels of wrath that were fitted to God's destruction. Why? Here's the answer. That he, meaning God, might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. That's the answer to why he creates evil. For that reason, which he had afore prepared unto glory. The Bible says, uh, I believe it was in Isaiah, said before the, or Jeremiah, it says, before I formed thee in the womb, I ordained thee a prophet. It says, before I formed thee in the womb, I ordained I called thee and ordained thee a prophet? Yeah. Well, he had a fore prepared unto glory. God knows the beginning from the end. He knows who are going to get saved. He knows who aren't going to get saved. Now, I'm not getting into the Calvinism thing here at all. I'm just saying he does. He knows that. And you want to be a vessel of God's mercy. <laughs> okay, that's the classification we want to fall into. And if we don't show mercy... We will not obtain it. That's what the Bible says. So we need to make sure we forgive others. Because if we don't forgive others, we can't get forgiveness from God. I mean, he's, he's clear in that in his word. So we need to, and that's hard to do. But if you don't feel as though you're doing that, just pray that the Lord would make you more merciful. It's hard to do in today's day and age with all the wickedness going on. Uh, <clears throat> and then it goes on the last verse. Even us, we are the vessels of mercy, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Praise the Lord. Does that answer, hopefully that answers your question. And then I go back to this, the other part she said. I said, yes, you are right about the pastors. The Lord has blessed these broadcasts to the point that when I post a teaching, I am ranked anywhere from third to fifth on the top downloaded teachings on sermon audio. And there are over 7,000 preachers who post a sermon audio. So since my message is so controversial, I am bound to be targeted. You know, praise the Lord. I, I don't know what to say, but there's over 7,000 preachers up there, and when I post a sermon, it's anywhere from 3 to 5 now. Um, I have no denominational backing. I have no uh, church backing, per se. Uh, I have no 501c3 status. I have none of that. But the Lord's chosen to bless these. So praise the Lord. I'm not going to take credit for it. I'll give him all the glory. The Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not in thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. So I just want to always acknowledge him. Don't take credit. You can start getting that big head. Pride comes in and then everything else crumbles. And it's, it's, a, it's a recipe for disaster. Oh, let's see. Um, and I say, praise the Lord, I'm still up on sermon audio at all. God bless you. So, okay, here's another question. Um, beloved family and friends in obedience to the word of the Lord. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, so this is from a guy. I don't know who it was. I just give the name Jay. 
this is a, it was entitled, Follow-Up to a Prophetic Word from the Lord. Beloved family and friends, in obedience to the word of the Lord that came to me last night, around midnight, we again come to you with a confirming word from one another, from one another of God's voices crying in the wilderness, saying, quote, prepare ye the way of the Lord. In addition to the latest audio below, the email from yesterday, we would also suggest and recommend and urge you to at least read the two articles also attached as Word documents and listen to several articles by Dr. David Ells found at the following link. The Spirit of the Truth witnessed to us that these messages are the sealing of the servants of the sons of God in their foreheads. In other words, we're getting something now. Everybody's being sealed in their forehead, but I could have swore that occurs well into Revelation. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, that doesn't apply. It applies now. We're evidently in the seven-year trib, tribulation, and everybody's getting sealed, the ones that are truly gods. Okay, so, then he says, as this, is, this sealing is the only protection from the wrath that is sure to come, as found in Revelation um, 7, 2 through 3. Oh, this is just unbelievable. I can't even hardly read this because I want to respond right now, but I, I should read this and then read you my response. And, and then it says, And I saw another angel ascend from the sun rising, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a great voice to the four angels to whom it was given him to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Um, and it was said unto them that should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only... Such men as have not the seal of God on their foreheads. That's from the American Standard Catholic Version, just so you know. And then it says, May you be blessed with peace and understanding in these days. We welcome any and all questions and replies this mailing. Because of his love, Jim. Here's my response to Jim. Now, you have to understand, I came out of this. I came out of radical, Pentecostal, charismatic garbage. Okay? I've had my fill. Had my fill. Been there, been deceived, been one of the most radical... Charismatics you would have seen, because I equated that with zeal. So these kind of questions and these kind of things kind of get me fired up. I, I'm sorry. It's righteous indignation. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. Okay, so here's what I said to Jimbo. I said, Jim, what sickening, rank, unbiblical heresy, as we are not even in the tribulation yet, much less the last 3.5 year period, where only the 144,000 Jewish male virgins of the specific 12 tribes are sealed. The Bible is so clear on this. This is what happens when you turn to any inner voice or false prophet who seeks to contradict the word of God. If you believe the spirit of truth told you this, you are very deceived and in great danger as the Lord will not contradict his word. He says, quote, the spirit of truth witnessed to us that these messages are, and this is what he said, the spirit of truth. This is what this guy's saying. You better be careful, and, and this is me speaking, This you better be careful what you say God's telling you. Okay, the test of a prophet, Deuteronomy 18 what is that? Well, if you hear something from the Lord, well, Deuteronomy 18 and then a few chapters before, there's two, two criteria. You hear something, how do you know it's from God? Number one, it comes to pass. Number two, if it does come to pass, it can never lead you away from God. In other words, you can't be saying something and it comes to pass and it's totally leading you into idolatry or some other false religion. 
Two criteria. If it doesn't come to pass, it's not of God. It's like the psychics that get it right 40% of the time. It's not good enough. If you're a true prophet of God, according to Deuteronomy 18, you get it right 100% of the time. Well, he says in this, he says, um, I, I say to him, I say, if you believe that, quote, as, you, as he said, the spirit of truth, capital S, capital T, if you believe the spirit of truth told you this, you are very deceived and in great danger, as the Lord will not contradict his word. And then I quote him, the spirit of truth witnesses to us that these messages are, quote, the sealing. Not the sealing like the sealing in your house, but the sealing like you're sealed. The sealing of the servants or sons of God in their foreheads or minds as the only protection from the wrath that is sure to come. So he's actually saying that the messages that you're going to hear from this David Elves guys is how you're going to get sealed in your forehead. What rank, total, unbiblical, unbelievable blasphemy. I'm telling you something right now. This is the norm of what goes on. And the kookier the charismatic movement you're in, the more it's the norm. Revelation 7.3 says, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Next verse. And I heard the number, and this is the verse he conveniently left out, and I heard the number of them that were sealed. And they were sealed in 144,000, all the tribes of the children of Israel. And it then lists them by name, by tribe. And it also goes on um, in Revelation 14 to describe them it, between, between Revelation 7 and between Revelation 14, it describes them as Jewish male virgins of the 12 tribes. I believe Dan is excluded and Manasseh is inserted in. And I got into that in another teaching. What a leap of logic to say that hearing some guy's teachings is going to be the very thing that seals you in your forehead when we're not even in the tribulation and we're not, I would venture to say 99.9% of, .9 of us are not Jewish male virgins of different tribes. What you know what this has to do with pride? Look at me, I'm sealed. I'm better than thou. I float from room to room routinely. I wear my right robes and you know, maybe I got a long flowing beard to match. I don't know. White gloves, top hat, cane, putting on the ritz, the whole nine yards. I don't know. But it's it all boils down to pride. This is just unbelievable. I, I got so mad when I, I saw this. It was just like, oh my word, this is just unreal. And then I say, Romans 16, 17, and 18, I've already read this, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. If this isn't contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, I don't know what is. There was so much blasphemy in this one paragraph, I couldn't even hardly comprehend it all or take it all in. So many unbiblical rank lies. And avoid them, for they that are such, it defines, these people that do this, they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, their own carnal lusts and desires, in other words. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. What did he say? He said that these messages, 
what a leap of logic there. These messages are what are going to seal this into our forehead so we're protected from the coming plagues. I, I still, I read this and I still can't believe this guy wrote this. Well, wouldn't that kind of line up with good words and fair speeches deceiving the hearts of the simple? They have the audacity to believe these messages are so holy that's what's going to seal you even though it's totally unbiblical. Now, if you're a follower of David Ells, who I've had many emails from other people about him over the years, if you're a follower of David Ells, it's no wonder you're caught up in this delusion. I give you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different... Uh, some of them are audio, some of them are, are, are writings exposing this false prophet. Exposing him. The first one is titled The Delusions of David Ells and the Latter Rain Heretics and Others. I've done a whole thing on the Latter Rain as too. And then the next one, False Teachers Exposed, David Ells. And then another one, David Ells' Views on the Trinity and the Nature of Christ Exposed. The, I'll be honest with you, these charismatic Pentecostal ones are some of the easiest to expose because they're in such rank blasphemy and heresy and doctrinally so off the deep end that they're easy to expose. There's so many holes in their doctrine. Well, what is it? Why, how did they get that way? Listening to that inner voice. Letting pride come in. Well, God spoke to me in a vision line. Just like this guy said. In obedience to the word of the Lord that came to me. Do you realize that what he's saying is he's, he's attributing something that came from Satan to God? This came from Satan. It's easy to prove. It's biblically easy to prove. What he thought was coming from God was coming from Satan or a devil, or a demon. In obedience to the word of the Lord that came to me last night around midnight, we again come to you with a confirming word from one another of God's voices. Why would God have multiple voices, number one? Wouldn't it be God's voice? Crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord? How sickening. And then he says, the spirit of truth witnesses to us. You realize you're calling something Evil, good. The Bible says, Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, light for darkness and darkness for light. That's what he's doing. He's on his way to hell, I believe. I don't believe you could be this doctrinally deluded and not be on your way to hell. He needs to get saved. But these people have so chosen to go by their heart and their experiences. And there is a way which seemeth right. Hey man, I've been there, done it. Been there in the Pentecostal movement. But you know what really got me out of it? Because I never claimed to hear from God. Never really did. But I always have people come up to me saying, Oh brother, i got a word from the Lord from you. Do you need to do this? you need to do that? And I would act on these things, and you know it never ever was true. Never played out. Never worked out. And I start questioning, well that doesn't line up with Deuteronomy 18. And then I got a hold that the King James Bible was the Word of God. Then my eyes really got opened. I'm telling you, I was blind to a lot of the stuff before God showed me the King James Bible was the Word of God. I was blind to it. When I finally yielded to that, my eyes were open. And all of a sudden, I, I looked around this Pentecostal church I was in, I was saying, man, even in the NIV, we shouldn't be doing tongues this way. Even, I mean, you know what I mean? A lot of stuff. And I went to the preacher. And it had nothing to do with that King James stuff. Oh, no. oh, you're creating division among the brethren. Touch not thou God's anointed. 
covered at all, you know? <laughs> they ignore whole masses of scripture in order to justify their position. But, hey, I guess they got no fear of God or something. I don't know. Not saying I'm the gold standard either, but my word, it's just amazing. So then, there's more articles. An open letter to David Ells from Prophetic Journal. Then, The Dangers of Divination. This is about David Ells from Bob Witt. Now, I give you all these links, you'll be able to click into them. And then, uh, another one, The Bible Code, Prophetic Insight or Fertile Imagination by G. G. Richard Fisher, and then an audio, The Uncertain Sound. Now, Titus 1, 9-14 says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. Now, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to hold fast the faithful word of God, which we've been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine... Now, there was so much unsound, unbiblical garbage in these two paragraphs that I read to you. I, we could literally sit down and do a whole three-hour study on that. But see, we're supposed to be by able, by sound doctrine, to both exhort and convince the gainsayers, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers. Now, this was the time the New Testament was written. It's way worse now. There are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, Okay, David Ells, you name it. These people and all in this charismatic stuff. I've done all kinds of teachings on Todd Bentley and all this stuff. Benny Hinn and, and you name it. Especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. Touch not thou God's anointed. You're not God's anointed. <laughs> You're the devil's anointed. The Bible says, you, you, do you think that's something we might want to pray for? that all of these lying devils that are out there representing themselves as men of God, maybe we should be praying that their mouths be stopped. Maybe we should be praying that this judgment would begin at the house of the Lord, and the sooner the better. Because all they're doing is taking people to hell. The vast majority of them. Not everyone is going to hell that's in the 501c3 corporate church. I'm not saying that. But the vast majority of them most likely are. They're choosing to follow a man... And this man is going to fail them. The Bible says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 5. You put your trust in a man, you become cursed. I mean, unless that man is... Still, even if that man is, is totally right biblically and totally on fire for God and the whole nine yards, you're still not to put your trust in him. You're supposed to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. That's where your faith has to be. says whose mouths must be stopped. Now, oh, does that mean we get a ball bat and smash them across the face? No. But you can pray for that. You can expose them. Who subvert whole houses. It reminds me of Benny Hinn and all these televangelists that get up there, Paul Crouch, and, and all these devils that get up there. What are they doing? They come right into your house and they subvert it. It's a subversive move. It's, they, they subvert it. They ruin it. They leaven you. The people that I've seen that are some of the most unstable, more problems than anybody I've ever been around, are the ones that play TBN day and night in their house, or Sky Angel or whatever, and they believe that that keeps their house holy, and they go by all these different various and sundry televangelists. Joyce Myers, Creflo Give Me a Dollar, TD Fakes, the whole nine yards. Benny Hinn, uh, Hagen, 
Paul and Jan Crouch, Kenneth Copeland, all these devils, hirelings that have no true love for the flock, that are doing it for the money. Oh, they do so much good, whatever. Their works are as filthy rags, I believe, in God's sight. They're teaching a false gospel, a prosperity gospel. They're subverting whole houses, teaching things which they ought not. Why? For filthy lucre's sake. The love of money is the root of all evil. Lucre, money, mammon. That's why they do it. Why? They're a hireling. They're doing it for the hire. They have no true love for the sheep. They will not lay down their life for the sheep like the true shepherd will. One of themselves, and I'm reading from the Bible here in Titus, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Cretans are always liars. Evil beasts, slow bellies. They're referring to a whole race of people here. A whole race of people. I have dealt with certain races. I'm sorry, I've dealt with a lot of Haitians in the past. For the most part, I'm not saying that all Haitians are going to hell. I'm saying for the most part, it was the most wicked group of people I've ever dealt with in my life. Across the board. When I encounter them to this day, it's the same deal. It's literally generational witchcraft that is so permeated into that race that it has defiled the whole nation. Does that mean I want them to go to hell? No, it does not mean that. I pray to God as many of them that can possibly say they'd be saved. But I'm telling you, I can understand this verse when he said the Cretans, and I believe that meant the people that lived on the island of Crete. The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Well, that's not right. It's judging them. Hey, who's spiritual judgeth all things. Mark them which cause division and offenses, contrary to doctrines you have learned. Judge righteous judgment. This witness is true. Wherefore, so what's the remedy? Here's the remedy. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply. Does that sound nice? No, doesn't. You rebuke them sharply that they may be found sound in the faith. Meaning that there's, it's possible for them to be saved. But certain people, you've got to deal with very sternly and harshly in order for them to be sound in the faith. Not giving heed to Jewish fables. And commandments of men. A lot of people are giving heed to Jewish fables nowadays. Oh, you got the Midrash and the Kabbalah. All that stuff that I got into in that Hebrew root study. Oh, yeah, I, got, I never got more, more hate mail and backlash from that. I had whole ministries writing stuff about me. Totally didn't even know me, obviously. I read the stuff. I was like, oh, my word. I'm still, I still need to finish that, but I just, I was finding the time to do it. I've already done 12 parts. I've got a lot, lot more to go on that one. Hopefully, Lord willing, I get back to it. But not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men. Commandments of men, what, like this letter that I just read to you where they're saying this means this, and even though it's totally unbiblical, it's a commandment of men. These self-proclaimed prophets get so deluded and so full of pride and so full of devils and demons and literal voices they hear in their head or dreams that they experience and they think they're hearing from God even though it contradicts the word of God on probably hundreds of different levels, if look, looked at their body of prophecy in totality, it doesn't matter to them. Why? Because we're in a new time, and we need a new, fresh anointing of God. We need to get into the river, and there's new, there's new uh, whatever. 
Let me tell you something. If what you believe you're hearing from God contradicts the Word of God, you're not hearing from God, but from a devil or a demon or a fallen angel. Real easy, real simple. Check it against the Word of God, the anvil of truth. If it, if it holds up to the anvil, if it, if it confirms it, and it consistently confirms it, that's one thing. But obviously what we just read did not confirm the Word of God. Totally contradicted it. Um, Titus 3.10, A man that is a heretic after the second, first and second admonition, reject. That's what the Bible says to do. We don't do that in the church. Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25, I've already read that. That's one about seemeth right unto a man. Uh, all these I've already read. Oh, Mark 7.13, Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. It's another big one. First Corinthians fourteen thirty three. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as of all churches of the saints. Why would God give a prophecy from a prophet that totally contradicted the word of God? From this verse alone, he's not the God of confusion. Well, I'm so confused. The prophets tell me one thing, the word of God said another. Stick with the word of God and get away from the prophet, the false prophet. Romans 3, 4, Yea, let God be true, and every man a liar. If the word of God says it, that's true. And if this man's saying this, you're going to have to pick and choose whom this day you're going to serve, because that man's a liar. Or that woman's a liar who's saying this, who's supposedly getting a word from God. And this is how people get overcome. They supposedly get this prophecy... And they go to these people. I've been there, done it, where that you use them like your own little personal fortune teller. Oh, God spoke to me last night, and He told me this and that, and all. That. Okay, well, I don't know. Better line up with the Word of God. I'm not saying you can't hear from God anymore. I'm just saying it better line up with the Word of God, and it better be doing it consistently. I believe with the completed, finished work of God. For the most part, that's enough. Okay, I'm not saying God can't ever speak to you, but I'm just saying that we've already got a completed Bible. Jeremiah 17.5, I already read that one. Cursed be the man that trusted the man. So anyway, yeah, that was, um, that was one. Here's another one. Uh, okay. Um, I would like to have communion during our Bible study. Do you have any specific guidelines you could share so that it is done in the utmost respect and honor for the Lord? Also, would you be comfortable with us naming our Bible study group after your ministry contending for the truth? Bible study. Well, sure. It's not my name. I mean, it's not like I have a corner in the market. It would be a meager way to show our gratitude for all you've done for our Lord Jesus Christ and His church. Well, thank you. Um, anyway, okay, so... I have my response. Regarding the Lord's Supper communion, it's important to ask the Lord to search your hearts and confess any unconfessed sin prior to taking this. Before you hear my teachings on a weekly basis, typically we partake in the Lord's Supper prior to my teachings. Okay, just so you all know. We do that. It was something that was very much done in the, in the, um, uh, the early church. They, they, the Bible says when you come together, do this as often as you come together in remembrance of me. So... Um, the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11.23 For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Now, what you do is you go out to the grocery store, and what I do is I go to the, the Jewish section, the kosher section, and you get that, you can get unleavened bread. Okay? Or you can get unleavened bread other places, too. It doesn't have to be in that particular section. But, this is a, before you do this, you search your own hearts, um, and, and I'm going to get into those verses right now, before you do this. And then it says, also, the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, the cup is the New Testament, my blood, this do ye oft, as ye drink it in remembrance of me. You know, we just get some grape juice, and we have some unleavened um, bread that we break, and um, then it says, next verse, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Now, I really believe this will help you spiritually. I really do. Uh, because you're being obedient to God. I, I just think it does. I, I, I've seen a difference in, in, in myself, even, since I've done this. Um, 1 Corinthians 11.27 then says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the blood, body and blood of the Lord. Okay, so that's a warning. It says, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So you examine yourself. Remember, the Bible says if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. doesn't mean you're not going to have to go to the judgment seat of Christ. But if we would judge ourselves and confess our own sins and repent of them, we're not going to have to face near as much at the judgment seat of Christ. Because, if you, let's face it, I mean, if you don't confess them, you don't forsake them and these types of things, you stand before God you got a lot more strikes against you. You haven't judged yourself. You've walked in, you know, and again, you get into the whole thing if you have no conviction your whole life of grave things that you're doing, you know, you need to see if you're even saved. Because if the Holy Spirit's there, He's going to convict you of these things. If He's living inside you. Okay, so, next verse. For he that eateth, eateth and drinketh unworthily, meaning if you haven't examined yourself, or if you're not saved, that would be even worse. He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, and not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. I'm not going to turn this into a heaven or hell thing. You're going to be go to hell because I think what you're doing, what's going to happen is the next verse. What's going to happen is if you partake of this unworthily, many are going to be weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That word sleep is in, in, is in response to death. People were dying because they were partaking of the Lord's Supper unworthily. And we are under the same thing today. So I guarantee you today there's many that are weak and sickly and many have died because they've done this unworthily. This is a big deal. It really is a big deal. Obviously, from what we're reading here, then it says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Verse I said, and that's 1 Corinthians 11.31. Uh, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So I'm going to go ahead and stop there, because I've still got quite a ways to go. And I'll finish up the next part, uh, hopefully next study that we do. I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and time you've given us, letting us come together once again, Lord. Um, I just pray that thy name be glorified 
through these teachings, through wherever your word and your truth is being preached worldwide, that many would be saved as a result of your efforts through this ministry, through the body of Christ, that you would bless my listeners, Lord, and their unsaved family members, that your fear would be upon us and our family members and those people that are around us, that fear would drive us to repentance, that the goodness and the severity of the Lord, the Bible says, leaded thee to repentance. I pray, Lord God, for your convicting power to be upon them. Um, I ask that you forgive us for any and all sins we've committed in any way, shape, or form, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray all these things. Amen.